0: Time is running up for the planet Earth. It's impervious to all voices. There's an intriguing sensation.
1: It's a nuclear device. fun,
0: fun!
2: fun. <laughs> yes. That's nice! Ah! Statistically speaking, of course, it's still the safest way to travel. It belongs to a creature from outer space. It's a bird! It's a plane! It's very important. It does not compute.
0: It's a trap! Hello everyone and welcome to an all new, all special episode of Geek Shall Inherit. I'm Daniel Pickett. And I am Jason Lindsay. And happy, happy anniversary to you. Happy anniversary, baby. Got you on my mind. It's uh, it's, it's our...
2: It's one hundred. Is this the 100th episode?
0: This is one... No, actually this is 101. I I went.
2: I did 100 without we just you. just went right past one hundred. <laughs> That's I was, right, yeah. No, this is did it. I get a good response. Oh, well, this is it. This is, isn't that insane? I wish you would have told me. We would have set something up, you know, something special <laughs> for, the, for the show. Yes, it's insane. I can't believe it, which means over 100 hours of useless bullshit for people to listen to anytime <laughs> they want on the internet. Um, but more than that, um, let's be honest. Every episode is special, right? Don't we feel that? I like to think so. But this one is extra special. And not just because we've hit three digits. Um, my mother's here. No, we've, we've got, <laughs> <laughs> bring her out. we've got a very special guest, uh, a very cool thing that even though this person has done some things podcast wise, this may be the first time we're going to have a round table about just as much useless bullshit as I mentioned before with a third person. Uh, and I'm going to let Daniel take it from here and I'm going to go do some gardening. So Daniel, take it away.
0: Well, it was nice having you for these previous, uh, hundred episodes. Bye.
2: But, bye uh, everybody. Bye.
0: Now I've got a new co-host. Yeah, so this is going to be our first three-way conversation. We you know, uh, everyone that's been listening knows that we've been sort of racking our brain what to do uh for our 100th episode. And the the funny thing about this is uh having this guest. This is something that we discussed way back for episode 1. I mean, you know, we we have drawn up a list of people that we would love to have on the show, love to talk to, and uh this I think was at the top of both of our lists. Which
2: means either this person is incredibly busy, or we are the laziest podcast hosts in the history of podcasting. I'll let you. Or, I'll let you decide.
0: Little of column A, little column, column B. A. <laughs> so our guest is Mr. Alex Ross, that I think everyone uh, who has any sort of finger in the world of pop culture has to know. This gentleman, uh, he is a painter. He's a writer. Uh, just a, 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 an incredible creator. Uh, I have been a fan of him forever. Uh, I, I know the, the first time I probably came aware of him was uh, the Marvels book. Uh, it's funny I, I haven't had this conversation with Alex before, but we uh, I, I may I may have even told this story on the air before. I met Alex, I don't know maybe eight, seven or eight years ago uh, at Comic Con. Um, I was. Uh, I'm friends with Adam Phillips, who is uh, one of the the guys in in communications for DC Comics. And his family was supposed to come into Comic Con. They were driving. They like rented a vehicle and were going to drive from New York to San Diego to be at Comic Con with them in like a Winnebago. Uh, the Winnebago broke down somewhere. I don't know in Trenton or something. And his family was not able to make it. So uh, he asked me that evening. Uh, If I would like to be his guest at the Eisner Awards, I I had never actually attended the Eisner Awards. I I certainly knew what they were. Uh, And so I was like, sure, I think I think that'd be terrific. And so, you know, I I went there that evening. It's a it's a big ballroom. I think Frank Miller was the was the master of ceremonies that night. And, you know, I I thought I was just, you know, I'd say, OK, I'm I'm a friend of Adams. And they would put me in the back somewhere. But when I said his name, they go, oh, right this way. And they walk me all the way up to the front of the auditorium to one of the very first tables at the stage. And it was uh, Paul Levitz, uh, who was at the time, you know, the the publisher of D.C. Then there was Adam and then me and then Alex. And uh, at the time, it was your fiance, who is now your wife. And I just had the worst case of imposter syndrome ever. Like I had no business being up there. Uh and just you know, it's just like what what I say to this guy? It's like, you know, I am just like so familiar with his work. But I'm gonna stop talking now and we're gonna say hello and welcome to Alex Ross. Oh,
1: is
2: it my time to talk now? All right. Now is. is. Let's move this along. Come on. <laughs> Was that experience was it was the Eisner experience that year with Frank Miller and Daniel Pickett as memorable for you Alex? Do you remember all that?
1: Oh yeah. No, you know actually I think we were already married at that point. If that was what I'm thinking it was. It was 2003?
2: I want to say That might have been.
1: Um, cuz that was when Comic-Con. Diego. was that yeah.
2: your last Comic-Con? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. You know, I had such a terrible time, and it was because of this guy I met. I don't know why. <laughs> but, uh, you guys just, do you remember the time you
0: painted the thing?
1: It uh, uh, stuck in the my mind, and I just thought, no, I can't do
2: that. I can't do it again, man. <laughs> I'm
0: never going back. <laughs>
2: well, uh, Alex and I, you know, have been have been friends for a long time now. We sort of – it all kicked off with our mutual love of Flash Gordon, our uh, the Biff Bang Pow Flash Gordon figures. Which Alex was uh, heavily involved with, but um, you know, Alex is. And I, I'm not talking out of school here, Alex. Do you mind if I give a little background on uh, you know our sort of thing?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, there's already an article about it that was printed in Toy Fair.
2: That's right. It was we did a nice testament little, uh, to
1: our love affair.
2: Yes, our, our our the love that dare speak its name loudly and boldly and in right. letters. Um uh The thing is, like Alex and I, we hit it off because of. And this this is this to me. And I'm going to say this, uh, uh, you know, at risk of being ridiculed, but this this to me sums up what this show was supposed to be. You no know, hundred episodes in, what this thing is supposed to be, and our conversations, and everything. It's that we start talking about Flash Gordon, and because Alex is very much a phone person, and you know these days. Getting on the phone with somebody, having a lengthy conversation is few and far between. People just don't do it. They're always texting or using their cell phones. I'm not trying to sound like a Luddite. I mean, I do it too. But because Alex isn't really fond of that stuff, we tend to be on the phone more. And so if I watch something really cool or you know, got a cool record or whatever and I want to tell Alex, I got to get on the phone. I have to talk to the guy. You know, it's, it's, I can't help it. So we have these three, four-hour conversations. And by the time you get to the end of it, you go, we started talking about Badfinger how did we get to the you know and the thing about the the flash gordon connection is it led to queen which led to the beatles which led to battle of the planets which somehow made its way to the small faces and the and the phone call that i said i mentioned the small faces and i was so used to doing this with people where i'd say they go who are the small faces and i'd say well there were this great uh, amazing mod group uh, from the 60s they, they became the fa- they, or they'd say oh you mean rod Stewart? It's like no no that's the faces which became big in america for the first time, I had someone on the – and he goes, oh, yeah, The Small face." I'm like, you, you know the, the, the Small Faces? And then he, he recites song titles and albums, and that kicked the whole thing off, and we haven't stopped talking since. And that's, to me, the beauty of, of geekdom, when you're, when you're passionate about stuff.
1: Hey, all I can ask is basically, how can you not remember Ichiku Park? If you don't remember that song, your soul is empty. <laughs>
2: Right, I mean that was a top you know, twenty song, and it's a brilliant. Oh, it's, brilliant it's
1: song. on classic radio all the time. I mean, yeah. it's it's got tremendous repeat play over the last fifty years. So, I mean, it's you know, it's this awesome, awesome rocking song, and you know, that's what caused me to chase after them to find out like, do they have anything else that sounds like that?
2: Well, that's interesting because that that happens a lot with if I mention you know Paul Weller is one of my one of my heroes too not so much Weller but like Crowded House or Neil Finn and when you talk to people and they tend to go mm, i don't know the second you start doing four or five sing singing four or five seconds of don't dream it's over instantly people go oh i know of course i know that song i know who who that is so Ichiku park when you do the chorus or the refrain people go oh i i know that song that's the small faces and that but that's still all they know because they they never they never really broke over here they never they never had that following until, until the faces. But anyway, that's, that's kind of. Um, I'll let you guys have some fun, but I'm just going to say that that's the, beauty, <laughs> that's the beauty of geekdom. That's why we're all listening to this stuff and we do this stuff and we care about this crap because we make these connections with people, these secret handshakes, which I think are really, really cool. So you guys go have a secret handshake. I'm going to go do more gardening. Bye. <laughs> <Okay>.
0: Bye. <laughs> Well, it's funny. Leading up to this episode, I was uh, sort of combing my, the, the corners of my mind, and I was thinking, well, I, I hadn't seen or heard your name come up that much lately, apart from you know, sort of the regular things. You know, they're finally making Astro City a regular monthly book. You do the covers for that. Uh, the work you had been doing on Dynamite, but then just this past week, it seems like you're everywhere again. You know, there's a, there's a new Spider-Man cover. Uh, that they've shown an image of. You're doing one of the Miracle Man covers uh, for the Marvel repaints, right? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then the announcement that uh, the new Batman 66 series that they're doing, you're doing the covers for that, for the big crossover between 66 Batman and the Green Hornet.
1: Well... All I can say is it seems to be connected to the fact those are DC and Marvel properties. So I've been regularly doing covers that, as far as I could tell, had been in, heavily promoted for all the things I've done involving <laughs> classic old characters like The Phantom or, or The Shadow or Flash Gordon. All those things have been promoted over the last few years, even some video game stuff I've done covers for. It just did, the thing that piques people's interest in this medium is when you suddenly are back with the majors. Right. You know, which so, is kind of disheartening, frankly. <laughs> oh, do you think that is disheartening, actually? Oh, yeah, yeah, because, I mean, look, I, mean, I produce work as often as I've been doing for the last several, several years, and, you know, I'm always out there. My stuff is published every month with new covers on stuff. You know, I do at least five to six books a month that I do covers for, so the idea that it gets more attention when it's just those characters. I mean, I understand the connection of those characters. I just sort of realized that nothing else can compare. You can't put even characters that are older than those characters who have a a longer running pedigree. You can't put anybody else
0: up against them. Right. That's, that's, that's very interesting. Do you find, I mean, do you ever have like a slow period or, do uh, you find just with, with what you're doing, it's it's pretty, you know, like you said, consistent, five books a, a month?
1: Uh, you know, a little bit of slowdown here and there, but uh, for the most part, well, as soon as I start getting ready to think of things to fill my time, something else pops in out of the blue. You know, a lot of projects that I've been involved with of late are things that have been talked about for years, like this Batman Green Hornet thing was something that uh, Dynamite wanted to work on with DC for a very long time. And the only holdup was it was a Kevin Smith related project. And they already had stuff that they were waiting on for Kevin to complete for DC. So DC didn't want to okay it until he had finished this other stuff. And I think at a certain point, they let that go and now allowed this thing to move forward, particularly because it morphed into becoming a uh, Batman 66 related product. So now it can be the 1960s versions of it which it wouldn't have been before it would have just been average batman and green hornet meeting each other
0: oh that's interesting okay
1: yeah so it makes a whole lot more exciting and
0: fun and that just seems like you know an absolute dream team uh on that book having you on the covers kevin smith and then ralph garman who uh I don't think you've ever met, but he's uh, an acquaintance of mine. Uh, He's a local radio personality here in Los Angeles and one of the premier 66 Batman collectors uh, in the world. Just an incredible, incredible collection. You know, literally one of those things behind a bookcase where you have to, you know, flip the Shakespeare bust head up and turn the switch and then uh, he's got all that stuff. So, i I'm really, really looking forward to to that whole project and yeah, and I think like you said, to some degree, Kevin, knowing everything he's got on his plate, can kind of bring in Ralph because they do a podcast together and say, You know this is a lifelong love of yours. uh, do you want to get in on this and uh letting him kind of take the reins on some of that
2: and it looks yeah, like all to, come sorry, go ahead, go ahead. But- Oh, uh,
1: it looks like it'll come together very nicely because they've got Ty Templeton doing the interior art for it, and he's one of the best comic artists of the last thirty years and or forty years, and uh, he uh, definitely brings a sensitive edge to drawing those likenesses and everything, and really paying attention to the details from the old show.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, with your process, uh, sort of getting started. <laughs> Uh, You know, we've seen like in Wizard sort of documented how you have uh, a lot of live models uh, doing things that you you use as reference, just like Norman Rockwell used to do. Do you have uh, like friends that come to you and go, you know, hey, I've always wanted to be blah, 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 uh, and, and want to suggest that they are a certain character? Or is it all just in your mind of, you know who I met that looks like that guy?
1: Yeah, more like that. Yeah, I don't really have people approach me and pitch me. You know, that doesn't really happen so much. Uh, It's mostly just uh, thinking of friends as filling a potential role that I might have. And given that most of the stuff I do now is disconnected covers, aside from maybe having one person who might have been a key model for a certain version of a character I've done, I'll often just whip it together by myself and just take some quick poses, myself doing it, and then just alter the face and body to fit whatever things need to be to make it look like a different person. So I haven't actually used a stable of models in a while, except for special projects. You know, like uh, recently I've been doing covers for Spider-Man. We're a new uh, mini-series of him. And a good friend of mine who's in much better shape than I, looks better in the costume, has been posing for me as Spider-Man. So it has a Oh, Alex, a, you did not have to talk about difference.
2: me like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, All the way from California. Can I just say... One other thing that we sort of always connected on, which I find really weird now that you're talking about the Marvel stuff, I don't think when we sort of first started talking and and met or whatever that I had read Marvels, or I had, but maybe I hadn't paid as close attention or forgotten or whatever. But famously, you know, we were both into Flash Gordon, obviously, but I don't know if I knew at that point that your Tony Stark in Marvels was Timothy Dalton. (laughs) And, boy, are we in the... We're finally kind of getting our due. That Dalton seems to be getting the credit of how great he is with all these things that have been happening in the past, you know, five, six, seven years. We were the guys that flew the flag uh, at a very, <laughs> at a very kind of unpopular when he was, you know, sort of unpopular with the, with you know, being blamed for the demise of the Bond franchise before it came back. Um,
1: yeah, which it seemed like it was just the bad timing of when those things were done. You know, like he was just doing the same stuff they're doing now with Daniel uh, Craig you know, they were trying very poorly, but trying to do with him back then. And they just, it was almost too radical of a shift at that time in history.
2: Yeah, absolutely. But um, yeah, one more thing that we have a a mutual thing, but um, you know, now that you're talking about all this stuff and Daniel, I'm sorry, I'm I'm not interrupting you. If you've got more stuff that you want to specifically (laughs) Oh, I got plenty of stuff. Don't
0: worry about that. Go ahead. stuff you
2: just, you know, the, 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 the subject matter, you just rattled off Alex, like, Is is there, you know, people ask me this. People ask me this all the time. They say, Jason, how do you make it look so easy? (laughs) Who who is asking that again? The people. people. Which people? I was just wondering, like a name. People on the street, you know, Chip and Scooter that are down the street. (laughs) But, uh, but, you know, if you could do any action figure thing, like what what would license would you like? Is there is there a sort of world that you haven't worked in yet? Or like you've hit Battle of the Planets, you've hit the Shadow, the Phantom, you know, Flash Gordon now. Like all this stuff that you love, is there anything out there that you'd be like, oh, I'd love to eventually, you know, do a cover for this or that character or something?
1: For the most part, I've hit most of those things. I mean, there's a couple of odd ones here or there. You know, like uh, I did uh, a couple of preparatory illustrations of uh, He-Man and Skeletor for – The comic possibilities of doing covers for that. And the property at that time was being vied for by both DC and Dynamite and went to DC. And then instead of getting the opportunity to work closely with the publisher, DC, uh, as I would have with Dynamite, DC contacted me to say, hey, would you do a cover? And after, I don't know, however many months, four months, five, six months, when they finally completed signing the contract with them, they, they, got back to me and said, yeah, um, a variant cover for the first issue, but that was it. That's all they wanted me for. You know, they didn't need the cover run to be done by me. They had no further interest in being involved with me. And the one thing I would wanted to do, which was a big piece of sort of a catch-all of all the characters together, like the way that Earl Norum, the painter, did with a number of illustrations back in the 80s,
0: Yeah,
1: I wanted to try and do that. And they were like, well, we're not going to pay you for it. So basically <laughs> D C gave me the finger, basically saying we'll pay you your cover rate for one cover. If you want to make that a wraparound, fine, but we're not going to basically they just told me to go F myself and um so I didn't do anything for P Man and maybe I will one day, but you know, that's where things stand with that property and that's one that I kinda of missed out on. But there's little ones that have
2: happened like that here and there. So nothing but nothing sticks out that you just go Oh, this movie or this property—I've never had a chance to. No, I've gotten a chance to touch
1: virtually anything and everything. I mean, it's not like I've gotten—it's not like I've gotten official uh, reasons to have drawn, you know, some of the popular figures of history that I would have liked to have done. Like, I've gotten no chance to illustrate the Beatles, but you know, what's that going to look like? Photos of the Beatles drawn by Alex Ross—that's what it's going to look like. You know, I mean, right? Maybe I'll come up with some interesting thing, but. You never know. Um, I did just for the first time reveal, or not reveal, uh, fulfill uh, a thing that was always uh, offered to me but never came together. Is I finally have illustrated the Archie characters for Archie.
0: No, oh, okay.
1: Oh yeah. So you can see what quasi-realistic versions of those faces will look like by my hand.
2: That's that's, a great... that's interesting. That'll be that'll be
1: weird, or it might be weird. Uh, but, you know, you get the idea that, like, okay, that's not exactly what you would expect me to be doing, so it's not like, yeah, I mean, there there may be that, you know, potential, like, you know, when's Alex going to do his Jesus project? Well, I don't know how that'll take shape, but, you know, there's some. There's always somebody. I've never drawn Santa Claus. I've never drawn a lot of well-known pop culture mytholo- mythological characters, so there's always more stuff.
0: hmm
2: uh Daniel, go and, go ahead Daniel I'm sorry
0: do you ever I mean do you ever just like noodle that sort of stuff just uh, in your own exercises or anything or just... Yeah
1: I I even planned out a book related to doing um kind of illustrations of different pop pop culture characters and figures and uh this is something I worked up as an entire concept and have it pretty much just sort of sitting on the shelf waiting to see if i'm going to do this at some point but uh i still i'm drawn towards a lot of the things i get to work on i was happy to do the number of things i have been doing over the last several years you know things like a lot of these sort of outside the dc marvel controlled heroes uh, collection of characters everything from voltron to doc savage you know i've been very satisfied to get to work with those things
0: okay And you, uh, pre-comic book days, you worked for an advertising agency, right? Mm -hmm. And did you primarily do your same sort of painted style then, or was it more illustration, or was it a mix of both?
1: Uh, Well, it was minus the actual paint, but it was rendered in the same fashion. So uh, the storyboards that I used to do were done with markers and pencil. But um, the way that you can do that stuff could still look like it's sort of modeled color and shadow and light. So uh, the stuff I was doing back then was fairly recognizable as the stuff you'd recognize from me.
0: Okay. So uh, you were born, if my research is correct, you were born in Portland, Oregon, right? Mm -hmm. I grew up in Lubbock, Texas, Mm -hmm. uh, which, if I'm not mistaken, birthplace of Buddy Holly. Isn't that right? Yep. Okay, and also has maybe the worst tasting water in the United States.
1: I've not heard that. Wow. Well, I know they've <laughs> the last got rampant drug saying... use. They got that going for them. So. Well, sure.
0: everyone's everyone's got that, but you eventually you found your way to Chicago, and uh, and that's kind of your home base now. And
1: yeah, my parents are both from here, and when they moved around from parish to parish, where my dad was a minister. Um, They, you know, their kids were getting to experience growing up in all different areas of the U.S. So, you know, some of them settled in the West Coast and some uh, down south. And then I always wanted to come back up here because I saw my fortunes as being in what I viewed as the big city, which to me was Chicago.
0: Okay. And just what kind of kid were you growing up?
1: Uh, Boy, a lot like what I am now. I mean, mostly sitting back in (laughs) concentrate on little projects and toys and, you know, creating my art and comic books, you know, so everything I did then is more or less what I do now professionally.
0: And I, if I'm not mistaken, didn't you do some early, like, action figure customization uh, things oh, yeah. you thought were missing in toy lines and things like that?
1: Oh, yeah. I remember I I took uh, the beautiful 13-inch figure of Maskatron, which I loved as a kid because it was, had such versatility, and I would take that body and turn it into, with wrapping colored construction paper around it, I would turn it into Jack Kirby's Machine Man. Um, Oh. And then you could have extended arms, or you could have the neck extend. You know, you'd do all kinds of stuff. you add on pieces to them because it would detach. Uh, Or I would take the head that was uh, the sort of heroic uh, face that he had that was supposed to be the mascotron face, and I would convert that into... Into being, um, Sam Jones's face as Flash Gordon and made my own, you know, Sam Flash Gordon doll. And I think I used the Superman doll from '78, the 12 inch figure, as the Timothy Dalton, uh, version of Prince Baron. So.
0: Very, very enterprising young man. I wish I
2: had photos of that. Me too. Oh, yeah. That's what's really cool because when, you know, my phone call came out of the blue, it was like, oh my gosh, someone's, act. you know, it was like the first time I saw Ted, you might have had the same response, Alex. Yeah. I've been watching it and I, and I knew what was coming. Like I knew that there was a Flash Gordon thing in there. I just didn't know the extent. And all I could think of when I was watching this was, oh my God, there's someone else out there on the planet that loves this movie as much as I do. That, they, that they've gone to these lengths because, you know, it's not like if you had, you know, six, seven, eight friends at school, we weren't, they weren't all talking about the Flash Gordon movie. It kind well, of actually,
1: I experienced that. I thought that, you know, back in 1981, when it was, uh, you know, right after the movie had come out in the winter of 1980, yeah. you know, it seemed like all the other kids I knew were into it. Like, you know, I would talk to them about it. Even the the girls said, like, "Oh, yeah, that guy's real handsome," or "That movie looks cool." I, I knew
2: I knew one guy that had like the the movie book and the the comic adaptation. I had it as well, but like,
1: I remember it, one guy bringing into class the record album to play.
2: Yeah. Yeah. My cousin had that. We both we both had the album because of the, the whole Queen connection. But um, that we got to finally make you know I went after the actress and we did it. It's like you. I was just when you told me that first that you did these as a kid. You made your own you know versions of the Flash Gordon characters. I thought that was so cool that now we're actually getting to to do it officially. Um, that was that was a fun little. moment. I'd love to see it. You did send me though. I do have the copy of that amazing you know, your version of the, what the movie poster would have been when you were like 10.
1: Right, you, yeah. You did a
2: crayon type thing or pencils or whatever it was. Well, the thing
1: is, that's not just one illustration. that I literally threw out the entire like 100 pages that I drew back in 1981 of adapting the movie verbatim from my memory, drawing it as a
0: <laughs> oh color graphic God.
1: novel. my God, he threw I mean, it, it out. It was oh. It was so ambitious, but it was... You know, it was very poorly done because it was my 11-year-old self, and I I was starting to become critical when I was probably 13 years old and looking back at some of my older stuff and thinking, oh, God, this looks so terrible, and then I just, you know, threw it in the wastebasket. So it's lost to us forever. He threw it oh, So that that illustration is the closest I come to having a remnant of it because I did it uh, probably just, it was one of the last things I did do is that piece. But uh, but I just know that in my case, my parents did save so much of that artwork I created as a kid. And I've got boxes of it that you can pick back up and look through these things from, you know, all the way going to age three. I've got stuff saved of my work from back then. So my earliest comic books that I created by hand, I've got copies of those.
0: I'm going to get Chip Kid on the phone, and we've got a new book on our hands.
1: Oh, yeah. A lot of people on the would Ross love to read that.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, because that's so, so precious. You got to see all of it.
0: So your your first professional comic work was for Wow Comics, if I'm not mistaken. Now, we, uh, now that's what am I saying? Wow, <laughs> now comics. That, <laughs> that was a Terminator. Wow about yeah. <laughs> Did you have like early rejections before that of of places you would submit? Did, no, did no, you no. Go I, I had the... just
1: uh, come out of art school. I mean, I went straight from high school up to art school here in Chicago started in the summertime, went through what was then a two-year program for an associate's degree, um, which is all that my mother did 40 years before me. She did the exact same thing, so I copied her, and then I went into the workforce, and I was extremely lucky to get a job doing illustration full-time with the storyboards, and it was through there that I got to know other people who were doing freelance, and one guy I knew was doing some of the uh, ghostbusters comics for now comics he had been offered that exact job of the terminator book that I uh, eventually did and he didn't have any interest in doing it he said like well you've got comic samples and you really want to get into this business you want to try and go after this thing and you know it would have meant i was spending my nights and weekends drawing a comic book instead of i guess doing nothing which is what i had going on otherwise <laughs> and um... And, yeah, so he he hooked me up with meeting the people at that company. And uh, so I never never went through anybody else to try and get in. But, you know, when you have an experience where you're working with a company that it doesn't necessarily go so well because they're independent, they don't necessarily pay the same way or not reliably, and these guys went into bankruptcy during the time that I was suing them for the remainder of my money. Um, So... You know, an experience like that is enough of a bloody nose compared to just
2: being kicked in the teeth with rejections. I would hope. Isn't there a, right. isn't there a famous cover, a famous Terminator cover that you did where you sort of, you referenced the, um, you referenced the the money issues?
1: No, it was the last issue of the series. I did this cover where it was from the point of view of the Terminator robot looking at the hero and sort of grabbing him by the throat, and there was a. Just like in the movies, there was a digital readout on the side of whatever gobbledygook numbers and information. And so in this arrangement of seemingly nonsensical numbers, I put in the backwards words that said, Now Comics Blows. (laughs) And nobody caught it before publication. It's been in print ever since. And by that point, it was too late to go after me, like that, you know, apparently when it was discovered and they were in the offices, there was plenty of hand-wringing over it, but they already knew we, we already didn't like each other. I mean, the, the truth is, is that an ego like mine has been what it's been for much of my life, so that I always thought that I was due to make, you know, these great works in comics, and I thought that when I was 19, when I was working for them, and so, you know, the fact that I was butting heads with them over the quality of lettering or whatever else was going on, um, you know, they had a right to look at me as being a pain in the ass, and I had a right to look at them as being dysfunctional, so, um, you know, which pretty much sets me up for the way I operate today with everybody I work with now, is I view myself as somehow immutable and perfect, and everybody else is, you know, always letting me down, and...
2: <laughs> it's it's, I don't know it's, what it's a very says. dysfunctional way to live. I don't know what that says about the greater picture, but I just love that it said blows. It didn't say it didn't say <laughs> now comics sucks. You know now comics is shit. It said now. Well, I also blows.
1: misspelled blows. I mean, I I did it with a z instead of w s. But
0: you know, it was it was that's clear the intent.
2: That's even you better. That's even better that it was the extreme version of blows with a z. I love that's it. the nineties
0: man. Everything was extreme. It was
2: extreme. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, That's speaking of, of those
0: sorts of <laughs> Easter eggs, uh, do you ever hide, like, uh, I know, like, in Marvels and stuff, uh, on occasion you would do famous people sort of in the background. Uh-huh. Uh, is, is that ever uh, an issue with the, the comic companies? I know uh, Neil Adams kind of had the famous story when he did the that big Superman, Muhammad Ali cover they asked him to draw all the the popular people of the time, and he spent many days doing it, and then they went, okay, now we're going to get permission from all these people. Right, yes. Uh, do you run into that them. at all?
1: Um, you know, the the evolution of it is that Marvel took notice of it around the second issue. Well, it only really came up with the second issue because that's where the Beatles are and the monkeys and different things like that, but they were in the crowd shots. So when I drew shots of... Professor Xavier looking exactly like who was only then uh captain on you know next generation star trek uh Patrick Stewart um there was no right to be able to do that and that was a very notable recognizable face so because he only appeared in these sort of uh, sort of farther away shots he wasn't like on the cover he wasn't a major element and he was also like on a black and white tv they had Asked like, well, can you just fuzz up the TV a little bit more and maybe put in some more crackle or, um, you know, currently I'm going through this on the Green Hornet and Cato's faces from the TV series because they don't have the rights for Van Williams or Bruce Lee. Oh right. So well, no, somebody shoot. like me who's trying to prove that I want I can draw these faces, I'm being told, yeah, don't prove that. <laughs> <You
2: know, laughs> I prove that with
1: Adam West and Burt Ward, but don't prove it with these guys. And it's one of those aggravating things that no fan's going to understand that. I don't fully grasp. Like, why can we? Why are we even doing these characters? We can't do their faces, and you know, it's because of these complicated rights issues.
2: But to be fair, uh, and, and to play devil's advocate and to come to your defense, you've got such a reputation, and you've been doing this for so long. I don't think any comic book person out there is going to think. Wow, Alex really blew it on these likeness. Like, oh, you know, sure, yeah. I mean, we're I, I, a hateful
1: I, I, bunch. I, I, Everybody in reading comics today is so filled with condemnation. They're ready on the mark to jump on somebody as being like, well, that guy lost it.
2: Really? Right. Do you think they would, they'd they go there when they see this? Oh, with anybody. Me, have you, you met whoever. the Internet? I'm sorry?
0: <laughs> I just said, Jason, have you met the Internet? Exactly.
1: I try,
2: yeah. I try to stay away from it, actually.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's why, you know, hopefully nobody will ever hear this. But uh, basically, yeah, you know, the the growth of openness and communication that we have now is a much corrupted one that gets, in too many ways, the worst out of people. So I expect to be lambasted for anything I do.
2: It's the great equalizer of the Internet, and everybody can do it better. Everybody knows how it should be done. Um, Are we – have we gotten up to his, uh, his bar mitzvah yet, uh, uh, Daniel? Are we, how, how are we doing? Yeah. Oh, yeah, right. you got to realize,
1: for the number of times that somebody like me gets interviewed, like when it goes back to Now Comics or Marvels, it's like, oh, good Lord, really? Nothing else I've done in 25 years matters,
2: huh?
0: That's not true at all. No, but what I no. mean, I mean,
2: we could, I mean, we could, no, no. We could do that. We could go further. I mean, we could certainly do that, but um,
0: – so yeah, I was just I was just going to ask you know like as a lifelong collector now, what is it like having sort of your uh, designs and and character concepts in three D now? You know, famously DC Direct did uh, you know the lines for uh, Justice and King to Come, but then you also have Mattel making
2: you know Magog and and Red Robin characters now. Uh, excuse me, what am I, the neighbor's kid over here? We did a fucking. Flash Gordon line, Biff Bang Pow, the movie.
0: <laughs> Alex Ross
2: design. What, 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 what not, am I doing? Here? I, I, I haven't heard. Should that. I go on and do some more gardening? That, you guys, that,
0: are those are those in Toys R Us?
2: They are. They were in Toys R Us, as a matter of fact. Captain Sarcasm. Yes, they were. <laughs> they were in Toys R Us. Not the initial run, but eventually they were. Yes, they were in Toys R Us. So there. Oh, I. See. And, and maybe a. Uh, uh,
0: a little independent film called Flash Gordon.
2: Yes, yeah, a little, little scene film called Flash Gordon.
0: Well, I
1: mean, I think that Daniel's point might be more that just, obviously as much as I got a chance to work with Flash Gordon, I was just giving direction to the sculptors of how to make it look like these certain faces that were those real people, as opposed to, here's my interpretation of well-known characters that I'm making look a certain way physically, and then having that translated it's more specific to my contribution
2: when you talk about the DC stuff for Kingdom Come or Justice. Yes, yeah, like your your design. Yes,
0: thank you, Alex. That is what I'm saying. I know. To say. I yeah.
2: know. So although, it, although the it, Flash looks a lot like an Alex Ross design, I've always thought the Flash <laughs> very much looks like Alex Ross's Flash Gordon, just the way it, the texture and everything. But go ahead, talk about the other okay. stuff.
1: Okay. Well, right I don't know. Um, but uh, you know, I mean, in a way, that stuff is both incredibly satisfying and aggravating at the same time because you get some really great sculpts on some that capture exactly what you were thinking, and other ones are a little wonky. And you put a lot of time into it with uh, – I, I was very involved with people on making the DC stuff for uh, DC Direct because we were in direct communication. Sometimes I was on the phone with the sculptors. But often, you know, you get the images sent over to check out photos taken of the figures, and you make comments, and hopefully those get implemented. Um and sometimes there was overhauls of things that were going in one direction where they needed to be in another. Um, but, you know, either way, looking back at those things, for all their strengths or faults, there was so much ambition to try and make them this upper level of where action figures could go before Mattel took it over. And there's a decent level of, uh, you know, quality for all that stuff, but there's also a general homogeny to it. Where they all look like they fit together. They got the basic body style that doesn't change. And each action figure for DC Direct stuff was all an original body sculpt. So if you had the physicality of the character change each time, it could really be reflected. Right. You know, it's a very unique thing to have that. And that's not what we get right now as much. Um, Although, you know, now since we have these realistic movies being made with actors. You know, in, impacting the way this stuff looks, you're getting more toys and dolls that um, reflect this uh, effect of their specific humanity, really impacting the look of these characters. And, uh, and and it's mostly a good thing, just sort of seeing a level of real, as as opposed to a homogeny of art style where faces all look generally the same. That's something I've always been against.
0: Okay and i mean to kind of make you crazy if they would cut corners like you know they repainted the hard traveling heroes green arrow as red arrow and things like that no or would i, I you just kind of understand that that's
1: well i can you tell know. you i recommended one of those kind of things i didn't i, I don't think i recommended oh. that one in particular but i think i was told about it and said yeah that sounds great go ahead do it um you know cuz i knew i had the figure and i knew it would look right once they did it um but like, say, in the Justice line, we had a John Stewart version of Green Lantern, and that's the black John Stewart, not the Daily Show one. Um, right. And uh, they had previously made a figure of him in the regular line uh, with a head sculpt that I thought was more than fine. I had just recommended that, look, guys, when you make this figure, you're going to take that head, we're going to pop it onto the new body sculpt of Green Lantern. I forget which guy did that sculpt. It might have been Tim, for all I can remember, um, but it, without changing the head, but I had requested make them darker, you know, that basically they mm-hmm. had this homogeneity of how they would approach darker skinned people, that they would only, only make them sort of a cocoa brown, that they were almost like dipping the toe, like, we don't want to offend anybody by making somebody too deep a brown, like, who are you offending, <laughs> you know so they are a darker skin tone so they're more deep brown like how is that a bad thing go for it that's what's in you know show the variation of humanity for heaven's sake right so, you know you try and get through things like that but just like you run into where people are working with you on the way you interpret things um, I would often in, in both uh, some of the toy figure stuff as well as artwork that I was working with other artists guide people, and I'll be talking about colorists here, to say, like, look, this character has brown eyes, not blue. The default is always this homogeny of uh, Aryan kind of uh, um, symmetry of everybody's got to have blue eyes. They may notice whether or not somebody has black, blonde, or brown hair, but everybody has blue eyes until you tell them different. Hmm. And it just drives me absolutely crazy. Like, why can't you research it for five seconds to realize that maybe you know, in the case of, say, Peter Parker, Bruce Banner, and Reed Richards all actually have brown eyes, not blue. Right. You know, and it's always, well, again, a detail that matters to me and matters to absolutely nobody else. But
0: <laughs> well, it's nice to you know you care about that sort of thing. That, that someone I know, is out always there.
1: always trying to push for getting away from everybody having... Blue eyes across the board, like between the projects you've seen me do with all the d c characters, I made the somewhat arbitrary choice that uh, say, like Batman and Captain Marvel should both have brown eyes because I saw no reason that there would be them with blue eyes. I mean, just interpreting what they were artistically throughout their history, they start as art styles where the only elaboration in the artwork is a black dot representing that character's eyeball in the 19- 30s, 40s, and 50s artwork. So it, you only get into the iris being colored by probably the 1960s. And then just, again, that homogeny sticks in of like, okay, he has blue eyes, they have blue eyes, everybody's got blue eyes. Blue eyes and black hair, not something that happens all the time. Right. Not an easy thing to arrive at, you know?
0: Yeah, <laughs> very true.
1: You know, my daughter used to have blue eyes first couple years of her life, they're hazel now, you know, it just it doesn't connect because when you have dark, dark hair, it's uh, it's a it's a unique combination to have light colored eyes.
0: Yeah, that completely makes sense. So uh, with, you know, your your mother was also an artist. So I, I assume there there was no sort of disconnect in your parents like, well, what, he's trying to do what for a living? Uh but, you know, do, are they sort of the, the doting parents where they have, like, a lot of your stuff that, you know, do they have, like, all your DC plates, like, hanging up in their house or anything like that? No.
1: <laughs> no, they, actually, they had at some point, I think, one of my plates in their house. But, uh, no, they have a, a number of pieces up in their in their apartment of uh, some of my original art that I did of my dad and uh, things relevant to them, things that I use them as models for. And they have every one of my books on their uh, on their shelf amongst their other books. Um, but so, he refused to know, sign them. He wouldn't do any
0: signings. <laughs> exactly. <You laughs> There's
1: know, that book, ego again. They got to go around with me because I worked my dad in his, you know, the model for the character in Kingdom Come. And, uh, right. you know, my mom was a big part of my personal story, so she would sign artwork, I'm sorry, sign some of my books with me. At conventions, hmm. and uh, so they got that experience in the late '90s of being recognized and treated the same way I was getting treated at conventions and you know they much earlier than I got the the whole thing kind of out of their system of like that's great that's nice well, I'm going to go home now
2: <laughs> okay. know, there's <laughs>
1: so much of that I think you need to keep sucking up because it's nice to get that uh, that kind of uh, treatment and re- reaction from a group of people, but, you know, it's nothing you need to constantly immerse yourself in.
0: Sure, sure. And your dad was, you know, was it strange to him to suddenly be an action figure?
1: Uh, I don't think I got any related uh, psychological impact of it to him. I think he got a kick out of it, and that's about it. There's one of those figures in their cabinet at home, along with uh, a head bust that I sculpted at my dad.
0: Right. You just, you know, you don't see a lot of clergy figures uh, out there in the world.
1: No, well, I mean, for again, that was a big thing. of why I was pushing for that to be the character's profession in the story. I figured it was my desire to use my dad's likeness for a human protagonist to interact with these superheroes. And then I was trying to come up with what would he do? And then it just hit me like, why can't he be who he is? Because that's a unique profession to be involved in the world of comics. You don't see it.
0: Right. Absolutely. And again, when you do, it's this sort of homogenized Catholic, you know. Right, uh, it's,
1: it's Garth Ennis' impression of what American uh, Catholics or jeez, I don't know—he was supposed to be Catholic. I think he was supposed to be Protestant, but he wore the white collar and everything, and
0: that's right. You yeah, you know, it
1: turned into this whole other kind of thing. Which I thought, like, well, if he's Protestant, then he probably wouldn't be wearing that collar, man. But yeah, you know, isn't
2: that but, isn't that being made into a TV series? Isn't Seth Rogen or someone doing doing okay. something?
0: It's been trying to, yeah, I think FX has been trying to get it off the ground yeah, for a long time. It's, but it's, it, it it was one of the ones that was bandied about along with Constantine and a couple of the others. And, you know, Constantine and Gotham, those are sort of rising to the surface now. But I don't think Preacher's move forward much past, hey, we should do Preacher.
2: Well, I th- yeah, I think there, it's, it's it's Rogan and his uh, you know writing partner that are, I think are doing it. Um, Constantine, I can tell you, um, because I've read part of the script, the pilot, is very good. And um, and the guy, have you seen the guy that they got yet, Alex? Have you seen the picture of this guy?
1: No, I, I've heard he was in Layer Cake, and I couldn't remember wh- which yeah. guy was in Layer Cake.
2: I can't remember either, but hes I think, I'm think i pretty sure he's, he's either British or Australian, but he looks a lot more like Constantine than the movie did, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, he looks blonde. dynamite. Yeah. He is
2: blonde, he
0: is, you know, trench coat wearing, yeah. disheveled tie, hang dog. I mean,
2: he looks terrific. And, that, and you got to figure that,
1: that's something that... DC has to send a check to Alan Moore for that, right?
2: Well, it's funny you say that because I was just about to say my because you you know Daniel you're talking about all the stuff that you you liked of his you love you're asking questions my sing, I think my single favorite piece, or at least one of them that Alex has done and I haven't seen absolutely every single thing Alex has ever done, but Alex I, I've talked to this about this before you sent it to me again, you did that great spread in Wizard which was, I think it was like Alan Moore's 50th 50th birthday, or, or retiring, or whatever it was, and you did this yeah. amazing piece, which was Alan Moore in the center, and that hair just going everywhere, and all the characters that he either created, or co-created, or, or you know developed, or had a hand in, or worked on, spreading out on the piece, I think it's just brilliant, I love that, that. I'd, I'd love to get that as a as a one sheet, it's just so cool. Yeah. It'd be
1: nice if, I mean, you know, I sold it a long time ago, but it'd been nice to have reproductions of that larger, but you know, there was no way to have a combination of all those, you know, I mean, the, the companies don't play together nice enough that you could get something going based upon that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But yeah. Yeah. Even, even like, uh, hmm. I, I'm friends on Facebook with, uh, Steven Bissett, you know, who was the artist, uh, on a lot of those. And he was just sort of like, nobody's called me, <laughs> you know, phone hasn't rung. Yeah anything on Constantine yet and kind of wrote an open letter on Facebook just saying, Hey, uh, you know, I, I kind of had a hand in that look.
2: So yeah, it's interesting because I, you know, well, I was going to talk about Drew Struzan, but maybe, maybe I shouldn't talk about Drew Struzan. <laughs> but, no, but my question, because this, this is an ethical thing that that I find kind of fascinating, not that people don't use models or don't, you know, go off of, uh, references or anything like that. But when I look at, uh, a lot of Struzan stuff, you know, and, and, and again, I'm not taking anything away from the brilliance of what he does and how great his stuff is, or, you know, that I, I can't, Well, I can't draw <laughs> stick people. So what do I know? Like, I can't, I can't do any of that stuff. But when I, I remember even, you know, years ago when I collected Indiana Jones stuff and I'd get the paperbacks and it'd be like, well, I know, I know what steel that's from. Like I, I know that that's a still from last, the set of Last Crusade, and that's the thing. And it was at a certain point, though, when you know, if uh, and I'm just pulling this out of my bum, but like if Annie Leibovitz, you know, took took a shot of these four characters in the studio, and then Drew Struzen made this amazing one sheet, which is a which is a painting of you know, you know his his interpretation of that same photo. At what point do does the per- like? She wasn't the costumer. Like, I mean, do you draw the line with the costume? Like, you sign that away or whatever. But when this photo's done, would Annie Leibovitz or whoever had to you know deal with that? Would they ever come out of the woodwork and say, "Hey, wait a second, the way those people are grouped and the way their faces are, whatever"? Like, I did all that stuff, and now well, just- he
1: wouldn't be following any kind of grouping of an established um, premier photographer like her. He would have been given reference that was based upon what they shot internally for the film's production as well as you know, sort of initial promotion type stuff of them. And they wouldn't be bringing in a
2: photographer of her pedigree. They would have. Right. But they, used, but they would so, when they, so they would bring in a photographer for the studio to go, here's the cast of police Academy, you know, stand up against the wall like this. Yeah. And then, and then it's like property. And of the it studio. would be, those photos were taken for this,
1: this kind of purpose that they were all around useful things to be applied in a number of different ways. And right. in this way, you know, he can use it as the basis for an illustration, which most of the time he would be taking the heads and then popping them on different kinds of body poses that he would then construct himself and, and shoot the models, or usually
2: himself or his wife uh, posing for things that way. He's still a hack. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, but uh, I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. But, um,
1: well, the, the tough thing is, is that, You know, where I'm envious of what he got to do is that those photos that he got from the studios would be much better photos than anything that the likes of me ever takes. You know, I don't take, like, the full-size prints of anything. I take quick snapshots on a very cheap, simple digital camera, and my stuff, when I get back, generally looks like crap. So um, I try and – well, I ignore that generally because all that needs to happen at the end of the day is that I look at that image, and then I –
2: reinterpret
1: as I move on from the photo into something hopefully better by the final illustration.
2: So he's a big fat cheater is what you're saying. I'm not saying that. He's a cheater, <laughs> cheater, pumpkin eater. Um, should we get to the I show? absolutely point, did
1: not or... say that. Neither did you.
2: Should we get to the show or should we, um,
0: we're already being sued by the Drew Strews in the state. Right. So as, as we ask...
2: speak, should we ask as him,
0: all his, all his people are coming for us.
2: Alex, do you prefer flannel or cotton in your shirt? Do you, do, should we should we try to hit some uh, some stuff that we're excited about? Do you want to, move to let's that? hit some topics? Let's, let's Absolutely, some topics. I'm all for that. All right, I'm jumping in. Let's do it. So you
0: know, we're you know. tired
2: of hearing from you, Jason, about your life and how you grew up, I know. and and then I fell off my bike when I was seven, and everything changed. No, um, so one of the things we do on the show, Alex, and I know you listen every week, but I'm just reminding you, one of the things we do on the show is called. It's like the top of the show. It's one of the few things that's sort of standard. Is we say what are we excited about this week? And it's kind of like it can be anything. It can be like You know, a new record that came out or something you just read about, oh, they're going to make that movie or whatever. And uh, because Daniel will beat me up, I always let him go first. So, Daniel, what are you excited about?
0: Well, you know, uh, apart from talking to my new good, close, personal friend, Alex Ross this uh one of the exciting thing that ties into previous episodes of of this show is uh we talked about that documentary that we both got to see that was really sort of creepy and haunting uh called resurrect dead the mystery of the toy and yeah tiles about the guy that's running all around the the eastern seaboard sinking these weird cryptic messages these tiles into the asphalt so weird yeah and uh, when my wife and I were in New York uh, last month for Toy Fair, we had it was Saturday and we had gone to the big Hasbro event. They have a separate thing from the rest of Toy Fair. And, you know, we leave that. It's The snow was coming down. We we're trying to race back to our hotel room. And we're crossing like 37th Street. And there in the ground in that street was a Toy & Bee tile. And just stopped us dead in our tracks. We didn't see it walking there, so of course we were like, "Oh my gosh, it happened while we were gone." <laughs> uh, but we, you know, we we waited for traffic to stop, and we, you know, we got back in the street and took a picture of it. But that was so crazy to me, uh, just sort of randomly to come across one of those after we had, you know, seen that documentary and talked about it. So that that was pretty cool to see a real life toy and be tile. Did you
2: sit, when you stood on it? Did you stand near it and feel any strange vibrations, or did you float?
0: Uh, I feel a lot of strange vibrations, so it's hard to, you know, sort of discern which one would be about the yeah, tiles. what's Toynbee and what's
2: just what's Thursday. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's, that's wild. First. I'd lo- I'd love to run into one of those things. Yeah, that was a very it's a very strange documentary. It's definitely worth another another look. I was it's funny you said it because I was just thinking about that a couple of weeks ago. Like I couldn't I couldn't think of the name of what the tiles were. That's such a weird you know t-o- it's T O Y N B E E. That's correct. Yeah, it's yeah. such a weird word that I couldn't I couldn't think of uh, what that was. Um, very exciting. That's a very thing to, cool thing to be excited about. Well, I'm excited uh, because this is episode 100, which, oh, as I said, because yes. I'm not selfish, I want to give it to everybody. Because, uh, as I said, I think we're, um, you know, we can go into syndication now, right? Can we? Right. Can't this go into reruns like on Saturday?
0: That's right. We never have to work yeah, again. We,
2: it just does, it does the work for yeah, us. We just sit back and cash the checks. Yeah. Episode one hundred. So you know what? Law and order. Watch out, because we're that's right. We're right on your heels. Another nineteen, eighteen years of this, and we're gonna we're gonna surpass Law and Order. And I, I and this is something I'll I'll post when
0: we post the episode. I will post this. Uh, but I I came across an old hard drive the other day that had some images, and uh, I've got. The picture of us doing that interview at Toy Fair oh, or at Comic Con, oh, where we where we very first talked about, hey, we should do this as a podcast, just you and I riffing. Really?
2: I, I do. I have pictures. Oh of my god! Can I that see video, that before so. you post it? Would you mind? Absolutely I, not. Because I've got a team of digital, uh, you know, people that can make me look much much better. So if I could just see that and play with it for a little while before but but certainly knowing us and knowing our schedules uh
0: i don't think any of us you or i uh expected that we'd be at episode 100 anytime soon no and
2: to be honest and i'll say thank you to everybody again we'll say it at the end but i i can't believe if the we'll numbers are correct some of the stuff that, that there are the people that are out there that are kind enough to be curious to listen to this stuff every week and wow. and hear us go on about things and um I for one am getting a messiah complex. I feel like I can do anything now because I have such influence on the internet. Watch but it's it's really that. it's really gratifying. It's very cool to to hear people give feedback and uh, enjoy this stuff. Um, we need we need a name though. You know, we need a name for the followers. Like, you know, the Bieber people aren't aren't they called something? They're believers. And the and the, the Cumberbatch people aren't they called something?
0: They are Cumber Bitches. Cumber Bitches.
2: Which by the way, let's in Cumberbatch's defense he didn't give them that name. They that was he did not. They gave themselves that name, the Cumber Bitches. So maybe we should have a contest. Uh, who, who what what should, <laughs> what should the show followers be called? Keep it uh, lens Keep it PG 13. Um, but moving along to the left side of the room where Alex is, Alex, are you excited about anything this week or anything recent? <laughs> you've, anything that you recently that you've heard or heard about or read or seen or eaten or anything. A
0: new purchase?
2: (laughs) Well, actually, you know, I mean, in this time of the year, as we're
1: switching into some of the shows that are returning, uh, that are quality shows, you know, we just finished True Detective, and then HBO will be serving us up with the fresh new uh, uh, Game of Thrones every week, which, you know, that'll be a fun stretch for a while. A lot of cool things are back, like Hannibal, it's one of my favorite shows, is back. And uh, uh, coming up soon, I think, is Bates Motel, is
0: returning it's back already we're about three episodes in now what it's already back
1: oh god you're kidding me
0: i'm not kidding you gotta get on board
1: terrible oh jeez
2: you have to
1: go you know no no, i you know what it is is i switched DVRs in the last six months and had to re-update so that means it did not have an auto record on uh that setting so that means now i gotta pull it up What, what is that tnt a and E. A and e Technology. Yeah. And this is why – I don't watch A&E normally enough that now I've got to go in there and i got to make sure I get whatever uh, marathon they do of it because now I'm three episodes
2: behind. And, and by the way, uh, speaking of television, Alex and I are showing an incredible amount of restraint because we both got very into and slightly obsessed with True Detective – Yes. The eight episode, which, by the way, Al, and, we, and we're not going to say anything about it, no spoilers, because, you know...
1: We're, we're, I would have enjoyed it much more if you hadn't told me what you were reading online.
2: Well, <laughs> I just put some theory... I didn't say I believed them all, but, you know, there's some interesting stuff out there. But um, they, uh, they're, they're going to put it up, I think... They consider it a miniseries. Did you know that? They don't, they don't even call it a series. It's considered a miniseries. So yeah. they're pretty much convinced that when it's time for awards time... It's gonna you know sweep that category and everything because um, well I mean it might have done it as a series as well I don't know because it was it was very very uh, interesting uh, but uh, we both got a big kick out of that show and um, I
1: think in some ways that series confirmed because the positive buzz for it was so great that that absolutely confirmed uh, McConaughey would get the Oscar you
2: know, kind of, sort of like was a that, wave
1: you know I mean obviously his performance is great in the movie but he was also in multiple films and he just had a spate of things that drew attention to him at the same exact time you're absolutely right it was, you've yeah. got to pay attention to this guy and he deserves this so you know but he i think he deserved the oscar for true detective more than he deserved it for the actual
2: film he got it for well again but i, th- I think you're right i mean it's, it there was more buzz and it was more it was almost as if all those people were watching True Detective every week as well. they'd already seen the film, which was great, and he probably was going to get it anyway. But then this true detective you know buzz got going, and it was almost like there's no way this isn't going to happen if, if there was ever a time for this guy this was this was a bigger you remember when he came onto the scene with uh, I mean he'd been around, but you remember a time to kill and suddenly he was on the cover of every single magazine that existed. Like, he just was everywhere. Like, who is this guy? Like, he, he, you know, he kind of remembered him from days and confused and stuff, but he was everywhere. And that was a big movie and they did some other stuff. But this was like, this put that to shame. I thought like suddenly he was, you know, three things in a very short span of time that he got all this acclaim for. Um, but, uh, were no, yeah. were
1: all independent things that were of good quality. So they yes, absolutely. showed that, uh, you know, and then he made that the romantic comedy
2: stuff, you know, and then he made that speech.
0: About his ten-year-old self or his future About self,
2: being his own hero and all that stuff, and I'm my own You know that whole thing with the hero stuff. That was <clears throat> anyway. Moving on.
0: So, so Alex, are you all are you caught up on Hannibal then right now? I am, yeah. I, uh, the, boy, I'm really digging this season. It is dark as can be.
2: Uh, you know, but I'm, not, I'm put... not caught up on Hannibal. Just to just to jump in. Sorry.
0: So are you watching Hannibal? I've
2: not caught up on it yet. We've got it in the in the in the DVR thing. We have, I mean, we're not caught up. I'm sorry.
1: And there's nothing to reveal um, of, of any particular amount. I mean, it's just that it's Hannibal the killer. A... <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, there's still a bit of that. Still a bit of that. Okay. <laughs> no, uh, so what are you what are you excited about, though, uh, Alex? Or is there something specific? Um. um well, you
1: know, coming up here in just a few weeks, um, it's the Captain America movie. Should looks very interesting. I'm yes. Because we know about a great many characters that will appear in the movie, and I suspect there might even be more reveals than we're aware of. So... I've. You know, there's the things I've heard, and there's the things I suspect, and I wish I would stop suspecting what I think a plot line is going to do, because I'm often disappointed with it never turning out like the, what I, my theories are.
2: Well, at the risk of giving you more information that may be wrong, uh, I, I'm glad you brought this up, because I read a great article in Empire uh, Magazine from, you know, a lot of people involved with the with the movie, and, um, you know, as everybody that's listened to the show knows, I'm a big Redford fan. That's Robert Redford, by the way, not Steve Redford, your neighbor or whatever, but Robert Redford fan. And he's he's in Captain America. It's like I always say this, but like if there were a Captain America movie made in the mid 70s, a big budget Superman style Captain America movie, he probably would have been picked for Captain America. He probably wouldn't picked for Steve Rogers and, you know, Carl. Well, he Rogers. was
1: picked actually. I mean, the, the producers for Superman, they wanted him at a certain point That's right.
2: Yeah. That's right. So he probably would have been that guy, and here he is in in a Captain America movie. But what's really cool for me, being a fan of his and a fan of the 70s, a lot of 70s cinema, is they're making a very, very concerted effort because as everybody knows about Captain America, World War II comes back at a certain time. So in the the actual time frame of those stories and the books, by the time you get to the early 70s, uh, you know, mid-70s, You've got not only is he this man out of time, he's this man walking around going, How did it get like this? What happened to the country that I knew? And it's, it's yeah, I mean, what
1: people don't remember is that the books at the time, the writers were responding to the pol- politics of the period, and yeah. they wrote a metaphorical story for the Watergate uh, years. And so, given that that was 40 years ago it would seem like we'd be moving on to different stuff but in fact a combination of that and the more recent winter soldier storyline is being crammed together to basically use him again to make this commentary as what happened in the early 70s this commentary on where we were going as a country and where we were falling apart socially which
2: is, yeah which is really interesting like they clearly because we've made these movies so much later we we can't you know, you, much as I'd love to see a 70s, I mean, actually, who knows? We may get it someday. We're getting a, a 70s, you know, era X-Men story to a degree in the new, in the new thing. But, like, we're never probably going to get those 70s adventures of Cap and the Falcon doing their thing. So their idea, you know, with this film, it's, it's very much a conspiracy sort of paranoid kind of thriller. In the, and they cite this in the vein of Three Days of the Condor, All the President's Men, and uh, also The Parallax View, which is not a, a hugely well-known title, but it's a great movie, early 70s, Warren Beatty, Alan J. Pakula, who, uh, who did Clute, and he did All the President's Men, and he did Presumed Innocent. He's a, he was a great director, died tragically, but he was a great director. Those three movies, they're kind of using as templates for, for today. And what this character would be going through in, in, in the era of WikiLeaks and, uh, you know, Assange and all that, you know, the, the paranoid stuff that's going on now with technology and spying and all that, um, I think could make for a really compelling story. And they also said something that, that I have to give them credit for because um, I don't know if people say it enough or maybe, it's, maybe I just don't read it enough that they're making – they seem to be, and it's not always perfect, but they seem to be making a concerted effort to make these things feel different. To right. to make the first Captain America feel very different than this next Captain America, it's a different style of film. Like Guardians of the Galaxy is going to feel different than anything that's come before it, and I think that's really wise and really, you know. And I and, and if if I were to point a finger, and I'm not saying this is a perfect uh, analogy, but Super uh, Man of Steel, which I think Alex and I kind of feel the same about that opportunity, and you know where that thing, and, and you know we're not. You know, people feel differently about it. They really enjoyed it and stuff. But but everything can't be the Dark Knight. Everything can't be in that world. And these have to be different stories, just as if you were picking up different issues of different comics. And, you know, going back into an issue of Cap from the early 70s versus mid-80s and whatever, that's what they're trying to make these films feel like. And I, I thought that was really encouraging and seemed to me that they, they had a pretty good understanding. And, and I always say this, really, you know, in a time that... Because Alex, you and I were just talking about Twin Peaks the other day where I kind of went back and did a marathon of that and stuff. There are episodes of Twin Peaks in the first 8, 10 episodes that my jaw is on. Like I'm just going – I cannot believe – this is as weird and shocking and, and revolutionary uh, now as it was 24 years ago. It, yes, it goes off the rails and all that. We can talk about all the negative stuff too, but there's a good chunk of it that is still – the most shocking, weird thing that ever was on network television 24 years later. And that, you know, that, that there weren't 12 people at the network going, you can't do this. You've got to have them do. Where's the talking dog? And you've got to, do the, you know, and, and wanting to have Happy Meals, whatever it might be.
0: It was a talking log.
2: Talking log. Yes. There was actually rumors at one point way back when that someone was going to do a, a, a replica log. I remember do you that. Remember that? I do, yeah, and, and that might have been an, an item of of merchandise because people were so desperate for merchandise. Um, but anyway, that was very encouraging to me that that in 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 a, in a time when everybody has an opinion that you've got to have this, you've got to make Superman have a kid, or da 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 da. These guys really seem to 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 know what they're doing with these characters, or at least what they want these films to feel like. Uh,
0: yeah, it's interesting. Did you get to see the the thing on Tuesday night that was the that special on ABC about assembling the Marvel Cinematic Universe?
2: Is this the one where the pre-production art for Avengers 2 was was in? Yes. I saw it online, Alex. I think you saw it when it aired, right? Yeah, I did. Okay. So they they kind of addressed that,
0: like Kevin Feig was saying. You know, i mean, we don't want to I, just... I mean,
2: I'm sorry. I saw the art. I didn't. I didn't. All I saw was the oh. pieces of art. So go ahead. I'm sorry.
0: Okay. So yeah, Kevin, who's, you know, in charge of sort of shepherding all the the Marvel Studios films, he was like, we don't want to just make superhero movie after superhero movie. Like you said, we are making, you know, these different genres of films. We're making a spy movie, we're making a techno thriller, we're making, you know, a big outer space adventure. And just they happen to have superheroes in them. But we approach each one uh, sort of as being a different genre and a different kind of film. And that's that I think really is leading to their success, so it doesn't feel like you're seeing the same thing over and over again. Just well, when are they going to make costume. a
1: sort of Woody Allen version of one of their characters? That's what
2: I
0: want. Uh, to that you know, I would be curious to see if some of those Netflix things you wouldn't see
2: <laughs> uh, something more along those lines. Some kind of a series like like that. Who would that? Uh, who would that be? What what character would fit in the Woody Allen universe? Like? I probably Howard the Duck. I don't know. Oh, um, that would uh, be cool.
0: Uh, what was what was the uh, the mailman's name? Was it Willie Lumpkin? Willie Lumpkin, yeah.
2: Howard the Duck, but didn't they? He was, he was the Marvel mailman. Didn't, wasn't there a whole copyright thing about about the poor uh, Howard the Duck thing? Where like, oh they, yeah, they basically... basically
1: the creator uh, had Gerber. some whatever agreement that he had, Steve Gerber with Marvel. Yeah. He wanted to get back the character control of it, and so he was locked in a lawsuit with Marvel that didn't go his way.
2: And so they brought him back as a as a rat, right, or a mouse, or something. Well, that was. A different thing. I don't think that was the Gerber issue
1: as much as there was also a conflict with now the company that owns Marvel is, uh, you know, the, the whole thing of how much he looked exactly like Donald Duck, and that basically, you know, Disney could say, hey, don't have this pantsless character running around here, because that looks exactly like the character we created decades before you guys did your thing, and they look interchangeable. And so uh, at the time that Marvel was trying to revive it in the early 2000s, um, they could not put him on the covers. So they came up with this idea of him being turned into a rat during the storyline, but inside the books, he appeared as Howard the Duck a number of times. Uh, so it was oh, okay. a Howard the Duck series. It's just
2: that cosmetically they couldn't put that right on the cover. <laughs> it's insane.
0: So, yeah, in fact, isn't you know, there
2: a famous uh, story about Donald Duck? They couldn't show... They couldn't show Donald Duck in Russia, I don't think, for the longest time because he wasn't wearing pants. <laughs> he he didn't he didn't make it over to well, Russia. Russ might turn somebody gay, you know. You gotta be careful. <laughs> with That's, that. right.
0: that's exactly and right. look at the
2: progress Russia's made now, all these years later. Oy vey. The- <laughs> um okay, that's good. Um uh, I'm glad we talked about CAP. That's I'm very excited about this uh this movie and the characters and the Falcon, you know, those were some of my favorite comics as a kid was the cap and Falcon. I'm kind of waiting, you know,
1: I want to see Falcon on screen, but I'm also excited about this little bit that I know is sort of the emotional heart of it is like, you know, the character, what he lost from the first movie being transported through time is uh, they've yet to show us anything about how they're going to reveal that agent 13 is the, I assume granddaughter of Sharon Carter from the 40s. Okay. Um, right. So that's a reveal we've yet to see let out there. And, you know, I'm just really excited to see, like, what, how are they going to handle that? We know what actress is playing the part. We just don't know how they're going to reveal that to the character.
0: And, and how do you, how do you guys feel about, you know, I mean, in the comic timeline, uh, the, the amount of time from like the classic Cap stories to when the Winter Soldier storyline came out is a, a wide spans of time uh, for them to dive into it this soon, the second film. Oh, I hate that. Do you feel I, like...
1: I hate the okay. fact that the Thor film was about Malekith, the character from the eighties. I was thinking like, man, you got a lot of Jack Kirby concepts to get through before you get to the Malekith stuff. Right. You know, so I'm not so thrilled with that because also I don't think it's a great storyline. I mean, if you read the, the winter soldier thing and just really get into, wait, how is Bucky still around and not older? The Russians right, right. found his body half blown up, they gave, they replaced him with a, a robotic arm way cooler than a real one, and he is now their ultimate assassin because they had none of their own?
2: <laughs>
1: that could happen. I could have it. It just seemed like, why would they need, and the idea, of, well, we took an American symbol and we distorted it to our own purpose just to F with you guys.
2: Can I ask, because I, I know very little to nothing about the Winter Soldier thing. But is he does he have the, the serum? Does he have the same juice that uh, Cass? No, I don't think so. I think what he's
1: got is that he was basically pulled, he was put into hibernation each time between missions. And he was such a mind puppet, you know, he's such a mind-controlled figure for them that he just came out, did a killing, put him back. But the whole thing of, like, why would you need this American kid to turn into your your Russian assassin, you know, so maybe the film comes up with a far more credible reason for it, but he was clearly not an enhanced hero. Although what they have said in the, uh, uh, talking about the Cap movie that already came out, is that when Bucky was rescued from that initial stage of the story, and he had been, I guess, presumably experimented on, so he might have had something special with him then that was done to him by the Hydra agents.
2: Okay. And are we, and are we totally – That's totally
1: justification
2: for this. Are we completely done with the – is the Red Skull not going to come back in any of these movies?
1: Hey, I'm assuming that Robert Edwards going to pull his face off and be the Red Skull, honestly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> really? <laughs> because
1: that would be in keeping with uh, – well, they, oh they've done God. that a couple of times. They did that in Avengers story in the early 2000s. Um, they did that – well, the Red Skull played a big part in the Winter Soldier storyline – yeah. And uh, somebody was revealed to be him, I think, at a certain point. Uh, wow.
2: Okay, you heard it here first, folks. Alex Ross and, Theory. And
1: because I said that, my guess is no, that's exactly what will not happen.
2: <laughs> it'll be Agent Carter. He'll pull off his face. And but be... I think it would be cool. I think it would be cool if <laughs> that, that was what cool. happened to be the case. Because Redford, here's the thing. You know, if you he did a film once um, – you know the whole story. Of, I mean, I, uh, Butch and Sundance is like one of my top five movies of all time. And you know, I think at the time there was a, there was a, there was a time there in pre-production where where, where Newman, that's Paul Newman by the way, uh, yeah, yeah. where Newman was going to be was going to be Sundance and and McQueen. I think Steve McQueen maybe was going to be Butch, I think, or something. And then he dropped out. And then you know, the director of Twelve Years a Slave. Right, Stephen Queen. He was he was an embryo.
0: Oh, you kids today! He was going to be an embryo,
2: in a little holster, um, and so they. Um, so so Newman does the the Butch part, and and then uh, I think he recommends like the studio didn't want Redford. You know, in 1969, he was not a household name. He'd done stuff, but the studio didn't necessarily want him. And Newman kind of went to bat, and then the director did, and the rest is. Is sort of history, and then a couple years later, you got the Sting, and then you got the Candidate. But in between there, he made a film called Little Faust and Big Halsey, which is himself and a guy called Michael J. Pollard. Alex, you must know who Michael J. Pollard is, right? Um, yeah, sure. He was um, he was in he was in Bonnie and Clyde. He was one of the firemen in Roxanne. He's a little little guy with a funny nose. Oh, he's Mitzelplik. He's the first and only actor,
1: yeah. I think, to play Mitzelplik. Yeah.
2: Yes. Exactly. Uh, and he was in it, and and Redford's character is just a prick in this movie. You, far as I know, you can't get this movie on DVD because Redford was so concerned about his image and what an awful character this was that he played. Uh, it was a very narcissistic, uh, you know, asshole of a character that you can't you can't get it on DVD. You can't just go out and get this thing. So in his entire career, I think he's only played maybe two shady characters, sort of maybe three shady characters in his entire. Career, you know. So if if they go, if they did something like that with him, I think that would be brilliant because he, it kind of would be. It's almost too obvious, but it's also kind of like the last. Well, I
1: think that people would feel that it's probably a cop out if it turns out that this guy, who's ultimately the story, representing the the uh, aspect of American military power getting ahead of itself and getting out of control, that it would turn out to be one of our greatest Nazi villains. That would seem probably too hokey to most people, even though it would be cool. Um, but what so, if he's
2: orchestrating things and he's he's you know pulling strings and making things go bad from the inside? Have you thought of that? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> I have <laughs> someone on trial here. I mean, I so that, that means he's a good guy or a bad guy. <laughs> he's a bad guy. Is there something you can share with the rest of us, Amazing Larry? So, so I'm look, I mean, I'm I'm there opening day. You know, whatever. Because I love the whole. You know conspiracy thing and that that atmosphere. You like seeing
1: a movie with a a, a crowded theater?
2: Uh, I don't, but I, I would probably try to pick a time that it's not going to be that crowded. But no, I I, I swear to, if I you just to...
1: wait one week these days, you wait one week yeah. to go out and see a film, you'll get an empty theater. It's awesome. Especially if you have the option of going during the daytime, which, you know, obviously I make my own hours, so I might do that. Um you know, we love it because we've gone to films we just wait one week, you don't have to have a crowd.
0: But that works for you because you're so unplugged, like for the rest of us, you know, you have to stay off the Internet for a week. Yeah, well, um, that's good for you.
2: <laughs> well, you know, you know what? You know what? You're right. And also, I'm going to give myself a pat on the back. There is there is a, am I wrong, is a five or ten minute, the first ten minutes of Captain America 2 is is up on the Internet, right, uh, Daniel? Isn't, isn't it up and available to watch? Oh, I don't know. I think I, I think it yet. hit. It was on Ain't It Cool News. I think yesterday. It's like the first oh. ten minutes of the movie, and I was very tempted to to want to see it. And I thought, you know, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna wait. But you know, like Thor two, I never I didn't see until it was on the digital thing on which is the first time I've ever done this. Instead of buying the DVD like two three weeks before, it's available on like what is it video video on demand Vodo or Voodoo or Hulu or yes. something? VOD VOD. And it had all the all the extras as well, just like the DVD. Um, so that was like the only Marvel movie that I hadn't seen in the in the theater. Uh, but yeah, I prefer going when there's not you know eight million people. I used to love going with loads of people, but uh, not anymore. That's...
1: Well, the people don't know how to behave in a theater anymore. I mean, people are so That's plugged weird. in that they can't wait the two hours to see a movie to not have checked voicemail yeah. or you know look at the phone, pull out that blue blinding light in the midst of the theater and you know people have no sense so you got to distance yourself from other human beings is what i'm saying
2: did you ever see right. did you see the louis ck i forget which one he did which which stand up thing when he just was going over the rules before he started and he's like oh and you know don't don't pull out your cell phones. don't don't be taking pictures and you know just just put your phone away and enjoy the show and just nobody needs to know what you're doing and then he's like and if you have any suggestions you're like you want to hear you know requests or like certain bits uh, here's what you can do you can uh, exit the the theater go out to the lobby and then go out the exit and go home and kill yourself. <laughs> because that's not, that's not what the show, because it's a one-man thing. It's not a you know, rhetorical It's just me doing my thing. It's not a back and forth. So, yeah, I just I thought that was brilliant. Just, just go home and kill yourself. It's not yourself. interactive, yeah. Yeah, it's not interactive, yeah. exactly.
0: So, Jason, speaking of opening day, uh, do you have your tickets this weekend for Muppets Most Wanted already?
2: Yeah, I, tickets, I've got my costume ready. <laughs> good good what are you talking about we might actually go to that one on friday believe it or not I'm
0: i kidding. think i'm taking my daughter to that too, i think it it looks on just,
1: it's the kind of thing that it's going to be spring break next week and if you go this friday in the afternoon you could possibly beat the rush before every kid's out of school
2: and you know yep i have to say i'm gonna i have to say that that the, what i've seen of this so far i'm more interested than i was i didn't like i didn't i didn't, I didn't dislike. Uh, the first, I didn't hate it or anything. That first one that, that came out a couple of years ago, I thought it was fine. I just didn't really feel muppety. This one feels a bit more muppety and weird to me. The best, so did you not feel muppety, or the
0: movie, the movie didn't feel, feel muppety. muppety
2: enough? But the, uh, the the best thing I liked about the first one was that was the the kid, the Muppet kid, his brother. That really, just, I just, that you like only, only because only because it was so freaking weird. That this was his brother. And yeah, but the character—I
1: mean—they create this Muppet character that's absolutely devoid of personality. He doesn't do anything except whistle. I mean, my God, we're waiting well, a whole no, but movie he's a, for the he's character like, to do something.
2: He's a little crazy fan, and he's like, "Oh my God!" You know, it's—it was kind of representative of all of us that are—you know—we still in awe of the Muppets because we know our child. Yeah, challenges. yeah, yeah. But uh, I just kind of like the bit that they were—they were brothers. One was a puppet. <laughs> One was clearly a Muppet. <laughs> And one was a regular human, and no one ever acknowledged is
1: that. You as a Muppet is that is that your metaphor?
2: That was pretty close. Yeah, I probably could fit into that jacket actually. A little, little jacket. I, uh, does everybody <laughs> have
1: a corresponding Muppet that they think they would be?
2: Ooh.
0: Oh boy. Oh, that's... Uh, I would like to think myself Pepe the King Prawn.
2: Really? Yeah. Okay. Okay, that's interesting. I would. I would. You know, I hate to say this, this is a popular choice, but I would have to go with Kermit. Yeah. Just, just kind of, kind of, kind of beleaguered, and just kind of trying to rein in the madness that happens around him, sort of. So you uh, hate
1: your wife? Is that? What I you're
2: do saying? not hate my. You know the whole. good
0: thing we're not recording this episode.
2: The whole. I mean,
1: that's ultimately all I get from Kermit is just sort of like, God, I
2: hate her. No, he's, like, he's the titty. guy that's. He's trying to keep it all together, and he's like trying to. You know, keep the, the the everybody around him is kind of crazy, and there's Matt, whether it's her or Gon or Fozzy or Gonzo or any of them, he's trying to he's trying to encourage them their eccentricities, but reign in the madness, and that's what I do. Uh, we, every day is is reign in the madness. So, I, well, who would you pick to? What are you going to? Who? Snuggle, you know, it's snuggles? the goofy thing
1: of of you know, it's like talking about liking music that's very haunting and and you know sort of vaguely uh fascistic but um I um I've known since I was a kid, I've always loved the character and now I realize I am that character is Sam the Eagle.
2: Oh, oh my God. I,
1: I am definitely the wet blanket to throw on all of society.
2: You are Sam <laughs> the Eagle. Without the without I, the without the right wing leanings, you are Sam the Eagle. That's basically me, yeah. Yeah. You really are I like that. You even kind of yeah. sound like him. I'm pretty much that bald too, so you know, I am
1: that bald. <laughs> what I'm saying.
0: I, I would like to see that painting from you next. Just sort of your face imposed. On
1: that would the be a that, great, that would be a great representation. If you want to see a picture of Alex Ross, just look at Sam the Eagle. That's. Sam the Eagle.
2: <laughs> well, much as we could do this all day, and or or and or make it a weekly event, um, we probably should head towards the exits very soon, which are.
0: Oh, my gosh, we've still got so much to talk which about. Are, which
2: are brightly lit in each corner of the theater. Uh, please what the heck do we have to talk about? Be careful. Oh, I mean, for goodness sake, they, they announced officially that Star
0: Wars will take place 30 years after Return of the Jedi
2: this oh. week. I, I, don't know why that, I don't understand why that's a big revelation. Because why is that the, a revelation? If, it if, would if, if, you didn't, if sure. the four characters they're talking about bringing back are actually coming back, there's no way to not make it seem like it's 30 years after the originals. Two words, Trump Legacy. What, when you say four, who's fourth? Aha! So you're just as guilty as the internet and everybody else. Every time there's an article about episode seven, all anybody talks about is Han, Luke, and Leia, Han, Luke, and Leia, Harrison, Mark, and Carrie, Harrison, Mark, and Carrie. Is no one going to pick up the phone and call Lando? Yes, yeah, is, is there
0: that big of a grudge? He looks better him? than the other three. I would want to see more of him. I mean, did did you see Lando's appearance on TV this past week? No, but I don't care if he can dance. Come on.
2: What do I exactly. care about Lando being able to no,
0: dance? No, 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 no.
2: Did you guys honestly not see that? I saw, I saw a bit of it. And I, I saw I, a I clip of it.
1: I did see a clip. I yeah. watched
2: 30 seconds, and I had to turn it off. But, you know, the, the, the word is, and I don't know how gospel this is, but, you know, Lawrence Kasdan was very, very adamant, you know, co- co-writing that third one, the Jedi, that somebody has to die. There has to be some sacrifice or some weight to this. We can't just make it all fun. There has to be a closing of this chapter and somebody has to go. And Lucas never wanted to do it. And as you know, Harrison Ford said it a million times, he should die. Let's just let him die in this thing. No, no, no. And at one point, from what I understand, it was going to be Lando. Because when when Harrison Ford looks at the Falcon and says, I get this feeling I'm never going to see it again. Lando, I don't think, was supposed to – he and – what's his name? Nine Numb the co-pilot weren't supposed to make it out of the explosion out of the second death star. Oh. And that would have added huge amounts of, cause I was in, you know, in the theater, even Jedi kind of giving him the finger while I was watching that movie every time he was on screen, because I didn't forgive him for what he did to, to Han and the rest of them. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know he had no choice, but please, everyone's got a choice. Um, they arrived shortly before they did. Exactly. That would have, um, that would have certainly given that character a lot more weight. So I say, bring him back. And like kill him in the first five minutes. No, but no, right, one's right. Talking, no one's talking about bringing Billy D. Williams back. And he's one of. Them. Billy D,
0: I think, is 77 now. And watching that clip, I think I broke a hip.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We're all going to be there, though. We're all going to get there someday. You know, that's the sad thing. Well, I won't, but you guys might. Right. I, right. Should, <laughs> I might I make, it, make it home tonight. But um, anyway, one, one last thing. <laughs> one last thing we should hit, I think, is any toys. Because uh, Alex, I know that you are a toy lover, like the rest of us. And any any recent toys that you picked up that you uh, you really dug?
1: I just got yesterday uh, from my comic store. They've had it for a little while now. Is um, the Hot, or hot Wheels uh, Batmobile that comes with embedded figures painted of Adam West and Burt Ward, where you can open up all the doors, the hoods. You can see the engine, the computer in the trunk and all that. So it's a very finely articulated piece and, you know, answers yet another question about, you know, what else they could do with the license of, you know, releasing all these various versions and sizes of the Batmobile. I think I have just about every one of them at this point.
2: Very cool. Uh, Daniel, anything you picked up recently? Uh,
0: Let me see. What was the most recent thing I picked up? I got a couple of older Marvel Universe figures in the mail the other day. Uh, You know, the, 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 the line you talked about that you dug, the the total heroes that Mattel was doing, huh? Uh-huh. Uh there's the next two are out now, Sinestro and Hal Jordan Green Lantern. And then uh just this past week they sold the first ultra figure, which is the Green Lantern Corps, where you can make John Stewart, uh Tobar Ray and the Green Man. So I ordered two of those. Nice. Uh, uh yeah and then uh, sort of inexplicably uh, th- I did get this but hot toys announced this past week that they're going to do the the Robert Downey Jr hanging out in the small town uh Tony Stark figure oh that's cool I, I never thought they would they would go quite that deep <laughs> into really Iron Man three. They are
1: overmining that one movie, man.
0: I really like it. With there being four hundred armors, you know, I, I didn't expect you would get you know small town uh, Winter Hill or She's whatever. Oh, keep in Tony mind, Stark. they've
1: already released two of the versions of Tony Stark himself from that one movie, and. Yeah. As far as I know, they've still yet to deliver the Iron Patriot or the regular Iron Man suit from the movie that are supposed to be made out of die-cast metal, right?
0: That's correct. Yeah, those are not quite out so, yet. So we're going to keep
1: getting Tony Stark figure after Tony Stark figure? It's enough already. Yeah, have either of
0: you, it, comes, it comes with both like cowboy hat and camouflage trucker hat.
1: Yeah, I just so. don't. I mean, the ultimate request I think I've heard from multiple people since they've opened up the licensing to include things like you know the films from the '90s and going back further to Chris Reeve is get us a Linda Carter Wonder Woman. Yeah, you know that's the ultimate. You know, I mean, since they're going to be doing Adam West and Burt Ward, that's great. I want to see more of those characters, but she would be the ultimate conquered. Uh, sculpt at this point because we've never seen that done as well as I know they could do it.
0: Right. Say so, yeah cuz so far we've only really got the the Bruckner statue and then someone at DC did a bust of it.
1: Right. And, there, so. Yeah, I mean there's there's we just know that uh you know they could they could sort of put the final end point on this and I mean obviously the licensing is clear enough that the DC could do it. So where's Hot Toys with this? Why are they
2: Still miring us in more of these minutiae of other characters that nobody needs. Yeah. Have we? Uh, have we all seen the the Iron Man three? Other, sorry, the Thor two DVD extra uh, with Ben Kingsley. I just got it this week. So you haven't? You, have yeah. you haven't seen it yet. Oh, I have watched it. Yeah, you have watched it, Alex. I mean, Daniel, did you see it?
0: Uh, I have not. Oh, yet, have to, but yeah, I I okay. just
2: picked it up. So, okay. uh, right.
0: but you, go ahead. You can talk. No, I it. don't. Want, I'm not
2: going to give anything away. I just thought it was brilliant. I just loved every. I watched it like four times. I thought it was absolutely wonderful. <laughs> and the and the best of any of the extras that have been on any of these movies. I just I thought I loved every second of it. I think it's so it's so great. You know,
1: and, th- since they talked about those on the special on uh, Tuesday, they talked about these one shots they've made. One of them I was unfamiliar with, if I even have it, and that's the one where one of the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents goes after some young kids who have gotten away with uh, one of the guns that the alien Chitauri race yeah. had left on Earth.
2: It's, and the girl is uh, Lizzie, 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 Lizzie Kaplan. Is that who that is, that actress, Lizzie Kaplan? I don't know. Yeah, that
0: one's on the Avengers, DVD. Yeah. I
2: think it's called Object 47. And it's the guy, it's the other It's the other uh, 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 S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, that's kind of chummy with uh, Coulson in the show, I think, and in the Avengers, right? That that guy with the glasses. Yeah, I think he's in it. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Uh, I picked up. Uh, I I don't know why I got so nostalgic for Godzilla. I saw that new trailer, and I can't wait for this thing. Um, there's some Godzilla toys that are hitting for the new movie. Yep. There's one. I saw one that you you know you bend him over. <laughs> he bends forward, and a giant uh, blue pole comes shooting out of his mouth, it lights up, and, and that amazing Godzilla sound comes out of him. Uh, that's one of the ones from Bandai. There's, there's
0: three companies kind of making them for mass market right now. Yeah, Bandai and who else? Uh, Jack Specific has done kind of the big jumbo one that's yep. 24 inches yep. tall, 40 See, inches long, that, yeah. and uh, uh, NECA just started showing the sculpts of their two that they're going to oh, do. Oh, cool,
2: okay. Well, they have this little yeah. playset. That's also out. That's like a bridge that comes apart and like little buildings that break apart and a couple of helicopters and whatever. And then there's Godzilla. There's like an action figure, like a four inch action figure version of Godzilla.
0: Where he's fighting a Cloverfield
2: monster. Some other kind of monster. Yeah. Whatever that thing is with wings and cause you see it in the international trailer. There's another monster they show for like two seconds and I'm thinking it's this guy. Um, but I kind of just got it for the, you know, for the, for the figures but it's a it's a, it's a kind
0: of, So you could stomp on the bridge and stuff. Could stomp on the bridge oh. roar yourself.
2: Yeah, pretend I'm breaking stuff.
0: Yeah. yeah.
2: I see uh, Brian
1: Cranston is in the Godzilla movie, right?
2: Yeah. That is correct. He's yeah. playing Madra, I think.
1: You know, now that I've been catching up on watching the entirety of the Breaking Bad series, I feel like I just can't see him with hair. You know, it just feels wrong <laughs> to me. You know, like I just yeah. don't like Regular Brian Cranston, I've got to see him as the bald guy now. It just it ain't right if he doesn't have that.
2: <laughs> you never that know. Shaped head. Godzilla might you know, breathe on him, and he might go bald.
1: Uh, well, we know he's not going to be Luthor.
2: That's he's right. Be- well,
1: it's
0: sort of like the, that theory people have on Bruce Willis, that when he's... Uh, is it when he's bald he's an actor and when he has hair he's a movie star? Yeah, that
2: ah, was, that, was what, that went around yeah. after like Twelve Monkeys. Somebody's like, you know, every time he's bald he's great in a movie, that, yeah. but that's no that's no longer true. He's he's oh. <laughs> he's bad in pretty much everything. He's cold. No, no 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 no, but he is kind of phoning it in a lot. He's, he's a little yeah, bit, I, he's, he's great tired. in uh, he was great <laughs> in Moonrise Kingdom and he had hair in Moonrise Kingdom. That was something. He's now. overrated oh, in Moonrise Kingdom. He was fine in that, but you know but he was, people do about how great he is. Well, Lord. he was better than he was in the last seventeen <laughs> things that he made. Maybe, <laughs> but you know, I mean, yeah, no. It, that's
0: not a high bar, is what you're
2: saying? No, he's, his days are. I crazy.
1: like Moonrise Kingdom, but I don't think anybody had a particular standout performance in that. That was one of the most wooden of the. Uh, West Sanders pictures, which I adore, but you know, that's not the strongest example. And the fact that that got so much acclaim is sort of like, guys, did you not see any of these other pictures?
2: I still think Rushmore and Tenenbaums are the two best things that, that they ever did. Um, yeah, you know, I
1: mean, I love tenon bombs, but I also, you know, I've got to, If If I could have a sit down with the guy and talk to him about what, what is your hang up with killing animals on screen? My God, man, stop it. Yeah,
2: yeah that's yeah. true. There's stuff with the dogs getting killed. You're killing me here. I'd also like to ask him regarding tenon bombs. So, how well did you know my dad? Because Gene Hackman is my father. Oh, <laughs> really? Yeah. How did you? How did? When did you ever meet my dad? Because that's funny. Wow. That's yeah. That's that's. Even, I'm, I'm a. I, I go way back. I'm a bottle rocket guy. Oh yeah. Bottle oh, rocket. Man, that's a beautiful film. Still, yeah. yeah. Still a great. Um, yeah. No. That
1: that still winds up being probably one of the best out of everything he's ever touched, and pretty uh, incomparable. That's for sure. Yeah. Love that. Movie. So
0: we're we're all fans of his stuff. Do you feel the need to own Fantastic Mister Fox toys?
2: So. I do, I do, I do. Do you? I actually have the Happy Meal toys from England. From oh wow, McDonald's UK did an amazing set of Fantastic Mr. Fox. They made you know the little guy with the cape and a little flashlight that lights up and uh, that he holds um, a little you know sl- like a like a little ViewMaster viewer that's Mr. Fox looking through binoculars, looking the back, and different scenes come. On. I mean, really fun, fun little pieces uh, that were just in in the UK for Happy Meals. So, uh, yeah, I I love that movie. And you know what's funny? My wife's nephew, who's like not just turning nine, has become obsessed with that movie. You know, he's just kind of getting into the Star Wars stuff and some others, the Marvel stuff he did. But he could watch Mr. Fox like every day. And and I do feel like it's a very adult, you know, animated film. I could see kids kind of liking it, but not at that age. But he really, really likes it. So, uh, so who knows? I mean, speaking
1: about merchandise, it's just a such a funny thing that they made. I remember when I first heard about there being these tennis shoes for the aquatic life of Steve Zazow. and so It's not like what are you right. talking about? You got merchandise of tennis shoes, and of course, it's an inside joke to the movie, but it's a wonderful inside joke for the movie. So,
2: yeah, they did some. They did some hats, and but you're
1: hardcore if you've got those shoes.
2: <laughs> Why? Well, I- yeah, absolutely, yeah. I almost got them. They had some somebody had a couple pairs once at Comic-Con and I almost got them but they between the two sizes they were just these they were weird and they didn't fit with it but I don't think they're they're not actually like Adidas but they were made as promotional things for the movie I think and but then since then people have done their own like you know knit caps and you know um you can even get the little you know the Steve Zisou club ring people have made the little metal ring that Owen Wilson wears and stuff so there's a there's a big cult of Anderson stuff out there. Um, but I hate to do this, but I have to go christen a ship. Uh, I got called about it yesterday. I've got to go launch a, a ship. Um, and we should wrap this up. And um, uh, just want to say thank you, everybody, for listening. I can't believe we're at 100. We don't look a day over 70, I don't think. And uh, thank you, Daniel, for being uh, my podcast pal uh, but of course. for so long. And uh thank you Abby for doing all the hard work that she does all the time. And thank you, Technology, for letting this happen. And last but certainly not least, Mr. Alex Ross. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for, for taking the time and doing this. I know we talked about it uh seven years ago doing a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Things finally it's worked like out. You can't both... call me on the phone. We
1: can't do this over the phone. Why can't we not do this over the phone? That's what we've been saying for the last several
2: years.
0: No, this is was... here now. We're, we're living in the future. I hope you enjoyed. Oh, it.
2: I, I, the only thing I feel bad about, I wish we'd been recording while we were talking. Ah, no. uh-huh. it, would have been a, it would have been great for everyone else to hear this. But thank you so much really have... for doing this, and uh, I hope you had some fun. And, you know, the door is always open. You can always come back and talk about more silly stuff.
0: That's right. Anytime. We've got plenty of stuff, you know, like even the outline we had, I think we covered like six things off it. Right. <laughs> Mostly because I need to hear about your work at Now Comics. But uh... very. <laughs> <laughs> but we've, we got a fun story about an Easter egg. I don't regret a second of it. So, uh, yeah, thank you so much again, everyone, like Jason said, everyone that's, that's been listening, everyone that's, uh, responded to us, uh, on the website, on the Facebook page, sent us emails, cards, letters, uh, carrier pigeon. We, we, we really, really just appreciate it. Uh, and we love having these sort of conversations every week, uh, keeps us off the streets and out of the pool hall. So hey, uh, speak for yourself, pal. Wait a second. So, yeah, thank you, everyone. Thank you, Alex. Uh, we really appreciate it. And uh, we will come at you again very soon with episode 101.
2: Wow. That should be special. We should have Alex back.
0: I'm, I'm all for that. We've got the technology. <laughs> I got a barn. <laughs> Let's
2: put on the show right here. That's right. All right. Thank you so much. Alex, when we hang up, you don't have to hang up. We can, we can still chat with you for a minute. But thank you, everybody. And uh, may the Force be with you.
0: Alex, anything you want to plug here at the end? Yeah for people to check out?
2: Uh, yes, yeah, I regularly out? still produce
1: work and some of it involves characters you care about.
2: <laughs> I, I don't think it, any of us could have said it better. That's right. <laughs> <Ringing indoors>. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everybody. Shiny. Let's be bad guys.
0: of nature's deepest mystery.